Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Marissa Crane. Marissa Crane is a writer, basketball player, and sweatpants enthusiast. Their work has appeared or is forthcoming in Joyland, No Tokens, Triquarterly, Passages North, The Florida Review, Catapult, Literary Hub, The Rumpus, and elsewhere. An attendee of the Tin House Workshop and Breadloaf Writers Conference, they currently live in San Diego with their wife and child. I Keep My Exoskeletons to Myself is their first novel. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited. I saw you, you know, tweet if anyone wants me to come on a podcast. And I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I have to contact them. I was so eager to read your book and I flew through it. It is um, like, it feels weird to say this, but it's a delight because it's such a dark, sad, you know, rife with grief book, but it is, it is just so funny and joyful at the same time. I appreciate that. I don't think it's weird to say. I feel like like most of the books that I read that I really, really love, like even if they are emotionally heavy or traumatic or difficult, like I'm I find them to be a delight because, you know, because I'm so obsessed with it or because there's mm-hmm. something about it that resonates, you know. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I had so much fun reading it and I hated that it was over. Um <laughs> can you read to us a little bit from it? Yeah, of course. The kid is born with two shadows. You better believe I head straight down to the Department of Balance office to appeal the decision. It isn't right, giving an extra shadow to a baby. It's not like she killed you on purpose, Bo. She's a newborn baby, for fuck's sake. She's basically a more sophisticated potato. And that's exactly what I tell the receptionist, resting his boots on top of his desk. He's long and slender with a droopy face. Where's the father, he says. I'm her other mother, I say, trying to steady my pulse. I always hate this moment of vulnerability, of simultaneously waiting for and anticipating a reaction. Oh, I see. He clears his throat, then lowers his boots and leans his elbows on the desk. Sorry, those desks are automatic shadow assignments, ma'am. What do you mean, I ask, knowing fully well what he means. His lips part into an approximation of a smile as if daring me to challenge him further. Is it because I have one? Because that's not her fault, I say, my face gathering heat. No, ma'am. Standard procedure, he says. That's not true and you fucking know, I say, stopping myself before I accuse the department of living up to its reputation. Everybody knows they're homophobic, racist, transphobic, ableist, xenophobic, sexist, all the goddamn phobics and is but they'd sooner strip away my extra shadow than admit it. And yet punishing a newborn still seems excessive, but maybe I'm giving the department too much credit. I'm afraid I don't make the rules, but I do make people hell-bent on breaking them wish they hadn't, says the receptionist. I haven't been a widow, what a miserable, lonely word, for more than an hour. I don't want to lose our baby, too. But what I want matters very little to my temper, which I can feel building behind my eyes before it finally overflows, wet, hot tears streaming down my face. It has always been this way, my anger and sadness twin forces inside of me. I look down at the squish-faced kid, expecting to find a sleeping baby, peacefully unaware, but no. She is wide awake, her big, swollen eyes full of questions, her blue-gray alien hand pressed to her cheek. Come on, I say, in between sniffles. Please don't do this to her. He knits his eyebrows together in a painful display of empathy. It would have been kinder if he punched me in the face. You've got to be fucking kidding, I say. We don't exactly kid around here, he says. At least not till happy hour. 
He laughs when he says this, and I imagine him and the boys at a high-top table spilling pints all over each other and sharing the day's stories. The kid and I no more significant than a cockroach squashed under his foot. Fuck you, I say. I watch him clench and unclench his jaw, perhaps deciding his next move. Although I can't see him, I can feel the security guard inch closer to me. His movement's quiet and fluid like a good hunter. I readjust my grip on the kid. My breath grows stale in my chest. Get her out of here, says the receptionist. The shadester's not worth my time. A security guard grips me by the bicep and escorts me out the door, releasing me back into the world with a small pointed shove. I'll stop there. <laughs> I love how you drop the reader right into the world without explaining it. Hmm. And it's actually quite a few pages, not if not chapters, before we understand what the shadows mean and who's doing it. Um, and I, I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about that. Did you have to resist the impulse to be like a shadow, which is what is assigned to a blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like this, this book sort of came from a bunch of seeds, but ultimately the, that first line kept following me everywhere. Like I, mm. you know, I thought it, I thought of it in the shower, like where all my, you know, brilliant ideas come from. <laughs> <laughs> sprinting out of the showers dripping wet like typing <laughs> on my phone um no, but I I just thought of like the kid is born with two shadows the kid is born with two shadows and um I just couldn't let it go and and you know I sort of had to write into it and first I wrote a short story and then you know took it to the next level and wrote this novel but um that ultimately like gave me the ability to drop drop into scene right away mm-hmm. um so so it was really an easy way to get going once I figured out what the rules of the world were and everything. Um, but I, <laughs> whenever I read writing that explains things to me too much, I get like so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, trust the reader, trust the reader. Um, so it is a big pet peeve of mine, not to say that I don't fall into that territory all the time as well, but I was I was very cognizant of it as I was writing because I was like, oh, this is going to, you know, I don't want to come off pedantic and I don't want to be condescending and just over explain everything. So I just, um, you know, tried to add things in dialogue um, because obviously the people in this world know the rules. Um, So that's always like a helpful trick for me, like the people talking about this stuff. Um, And I, I think that gives the reader the opportunity to sort of put all of these pieces together um it automatically engages you as the reader because you're like what the hell is going on you know at, whereas like you're saying this character this is their world already and they are talking or she's talking to her wife her deceased wife and right. and so there would be shorthand between them it gives this it gives it this automatic authenticity that you desperately need in a novel like this because it's asking you to abandon so many things that you know about your world you know, the, the world that you, the reader recognize. And it just, it's like a little mystery. It's a thriller and it's, you know, this ode to love and, and, and an exploration of grief. But the fact that you don't, cause I feel like my impulse would be like, and you remember Bo, how they started assigning shadows. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I, do, uh, I do think I have some of that in there to be fair. Um, but yeah, <laughs> right, that was, that's, you know, and that's another tough thing. And somebody had asked me about that in the interview, like um, what were the, 
challenges, but also like what were the benefits of having Chris address Bo directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the challenges was like not to over explain because Bo would already know a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like sort of getting that balancing act where you're not leaving the reader in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but still making it like how they how Chris would talk to Bo and not be like, yes. So did you know that this uh rule number 104 <laughs> in the Constitution or like whatever? <laughs> or it's like, hey Bo, I watched the news earlier and here's what it said. I have a little transcript for you. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I, I I feel like it goes hand in hand with the decision for it to be this conversation and for it to be in first person. Mm-hmm. Um did you was it was it always in first person? Did you, you know, was it something that you played with as you were, you know, moving from the short story to the novel? Oh, it was always in first person. Yeah. I'm, I'm like tragically a first person writer. <laughs> Why um, tragically? <laughs> uh, I guess because, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess just because, I mean, like, that's always my instinct. And I say tragically because I want to be a bit more versatile. So I, I have to push myself like um outside of my comfort zone like if I you know I've tried in recent years I've written stories and in third person but um they're still like really close so they sort of feel like first person anyway um yeah I think my instinct is just to be in the the narrator's head um so I'm not very good at like like omniscient either like where it's like sort of this you know external more distant third person I don't know all that to say it was always in first person yeah is that what you like to read too are are your favorite books in first person or stories yeah um yes <laughs> hmm. can you name any of them um well basically my favorite book of all time is We the Animals by Justin Torres wow I've never um, read that one and it's it's in first person, but it's also like in first person plural. So for the That's most hard part. to do. Yeah, it's not like always. Um, the narrator does get his own breakaway at different points, um, but a lot of it is is we 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 because it's about him and his um, two older brothers, and it's very about them as brothers, like as an entity. Um, you know not to spoil anything is sort of then about his breakaway from that entity um but uh yeah otherwise like department of speculation by jenny ofel is, is one of my favorite books and a huge inspiration for this book like mm-hmm. for the structure and for the fragments and um i also think the way that she instills humor um into her narratives and sort of what i want to say like a subtle way mm-hmm. um I like the movement of her books and and how they sort of balance these big issues, especially like weather, Um, you know, where we're talking about climate change and um, and balance it with like the private and the domestic. I really Mm -hmm. love um, the way she plays with those two magnitudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about um, the Children's Bible by Lydia Millet when I was reading this, because it's also you're in the world immediately. <clears throat> and you sort of figure out what's happening as you go, which makes I it, that. oh God, I think you would like it. it. It makes it this, this lesson in like 
poignance because what you thought was a given is already gone, you know, um, mm. which I, I really felt reading exoskeletons as well. So you're constantly like, okay, I'm caught up. Oh no, that's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, did the draft come quickly to you? Oh gosh. Um, yes, but only because I was recently unemployed. Mm. Um, and I was like, all right, I have this novel idea. I don't know how long I'm gonna be unemployed. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was obviously looking for jobs, but I was like, I'm never gonna have this much free time again, basically. Um, so I just treated it like a job and I, um, wrote every day for like several hours. So I wrote it in like three months. Amazing. Um, but it was like horrible. It was just, <laughs> it was just like, I think uh, it gave me the confidence to know that I could start and finish a novel. Um, but other than that, it was sort of, it was, it was like a skeleton of a book, but it, it was just, it was messy. I'll say that. Um, it was in need of an exoskeleton, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, after that, I, I sort of did like full rewrites. Um, what did that look like? What did revising that and, and filling it out feel like? Uh, it looked like opening a, a new a blank word document and just starting from. from no, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I did oh, my that. gosh uh like two or three times oh <gasps> so if you're opening the new document do you have the other document open as well and you're kind of referring back and forth or are you just like no I know kind of the story I'm just starting over I referred back to it um but it would really be like interrogating each fragment for whether I like liked it and whether it was necessary and and, and you know if it was where I wanted to go with the story and if I needed to change the plot. So it was sort of like one fragment at a time, Wow, uh, which was really helpful actually um, to break it up that way. Cause if it had been like just, you know, conventional, like big chunks of prose, like I, I don't really know how I would have like operated with the pieces. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, you know, there's something freeing about a blank word doc for me. It sounds very daunting, but it also, it also felt very freeing. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you were like telling yourself the story. I don't know. I was thinking about how Coco Picard was talking about when she first wrote um, her novel, she was telling it to herself and then she had to open it up for the reader in a way. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. I had never considered that, <laughs> which seems, it seems so obvious that you would think I need to, I need to give the reader like ways in. Um, mm. But yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like that's, you know, like you were, you were finding out what of the story remained in a way. Yeah, that that actually really resonates. I like that a lot. It does seem obvious, but I hadn't really thought of it that way either. Um, it does feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, let me for me figure out like what the hell is going on. And then yeah. once I sort of know the lay of the land and know like the rules of this world and all of the things, you know, all the narrative arcs, what characters, yeah, then it's okay. Now who am I writing this toward or, or for or whatnot? And it feels like it can be a painful process because at that point you have to be like, okay, 
This is actually <laughs> going to be a thing I hope to sell, <laughs> you know, and, and you're like, oh, that little cute thing that I did is like not going to work. And ugh. it's it hard. Is, it is hard because you're like, I want to publish this and I mm-hmm. want people to read this, but also like, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, feel like, I feel like it's, yeah. The it's mine, level. but it's not mine. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> it's, it's, it does suck. It's so like, I go back to this all the time, but I'm, I'm it's just natural for me. I, I played basketball my entire life and mm. I am constantly like comparing writing to basketball, like how it's the same, how it's different. And like, and and basketball also like in a way it was mine but also not mine mm-hmm. like in sort of the same way um I, like you prepare in private and you know with just with your team or whatever obviously that's different it's much more collaborative but like and you can like shoot around on your own and like the same as you can sort of write on your own and have fun but then it's like you step on the court and like you can do your thing, but there's always going to be like fans or people who are like judging you or ha- who have something to say. Um, and it's like performing on a stage in a way. Yeah. And like having to work with the fact that you desperately want to win, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's so humiliating yes. to want to wanna win in front of a live audience. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, then like you're putting your book out and you're like, I want to win, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, what does that mean in this publishing world? Exactly. It's so vulnerable. Well, right. And that's the other thing. It's like basketball and, and other sports. It's like, there is like a clear winner and loser. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, there's an outcome that's so objective mm-hmm. um, and writing is just so fraught in the way that it's like yeah I can't just just look at my stats or like look <laughs> at my team's record like I'm like it's like just defining success in in such a like different way um it's much more personal and you know I think there can also be almost more competition than sports because it's like where do you set the bar? Like I can, I, I accomplished this, but now I'm not happy because I want to accomplish this. And, um, it, it feels like you can get caught up in maybe this like ever, I don't know, ever climbing type of thing. Um, It never ends because I feel like my fifth book is coming out in the fall. And I, and I always say to myself, like, if I told myself back when I was like, I think maybe I'll be a writer, you know, you'll publish five books in, I don't know, 10 years or however many years, 11, whatever. I would be so happy. And now I'm like, I've never won any awards. <laughs> you did. You know? Exactly. And it's like, I've never, I want to be published in the New Yorker, you know, like, and my stuff's not really for the New Yorker, but I, but there's all these like things you put on yourself that you're like, well, I need to do the next thing. I need to push myself into this next area. Exactly. It's exhausting. Also, congrats on your fifth book coming out. Thank you. Thank you. I know I need to like, I should just be I should just like go eat Easter candy and just be happy, you know, but no one, (laughs) no one lives like that, really, you know. Exactly. It's it's really hard not to fall into that trap. I feel like there's maybe like five people out there ever who are like, 
<laughs> who are just like meditating and are like, we are fine. Um, yeah, it's James Patterson, <laughs> you know, like he's like sitting on a, like a donut cushion full of hundred dollar bills, you know, <laughs> and he's having, he's living his best life. <laughs> oh yeah. It's the people who are filthy rich and publishing a book every or four books a year that, yeah. Yeah. It um, is really hard. It's also, it, I think like, can be isolating in a lot of ways like even if you have like writing community and you have writing friends um I think it's just yeah I don't know like the feelings of yeah I'm not successful enough or I haven't reached these things can feel really I don't know daunting yeah or if you're like I actually feel really good about where I am then there's like this sneaking voice that's like you're not you're not doing enough you know like there's all these games we play with ourselves Mm-hmm. because it's it's impossible to predict um and I and I kind of want to ask you before your book came out was there sort of a like a definition of success for you and then oh <laughs> did anything change after the book came out like how you felt about having it come out I so I really tried to keep my expectations low I was just like well done <laughs> that's the right way to be I really was just afraid to like dream big. I was just like, I don't know, like I don't want to like get all these expectations and and be disappointed. So I was just trying to I also like distract myself a lot to keep me busy like so I'm like so I can't worry about this stuff. I just mm-hmm. like start writing something new or like throw myself into something ridiculous so that I don't have to think about it, but like um I was just like I'm gonna do what I can control um otherwise like what happens happens and and one of those things which I can control I decided was to join TikTok Uh, (laughs) that's amazing I was like what can I do I can do this I can get on book talk like I didn't want to but I was like this is something that's in my control um and you know I actually don't hate it I'm not like I don't love it but I it's actually been sort of helpful. There's been people who comment that they're ordering my book. Or... <gasps> so, I mean, you know, it, <laughs> it's a necessary evil, I guess. People so just book love... talk. I've never been on, on, I don't have TikTok. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so is book talk just where people like get excited about books or they, or is it like publishing people? Tell me what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's people who just love to read. Um, oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. And it's a really, (laughs) they're really into it. Like people are just super enthusiastic and really passionate about books. So there's like, you know, a lot of accounts where people just share um, what books they're reading, what books they recommend. Um, And it's, and it's like a really big community. Um, And I feel like a lot, you know, I've fallen into like the queer side of it. Um, So there's just so many like queer and trans and, um, you know, people posting black books and, and everything like that, um, wow. you know, indigenous writers and, and I, there is a lot of I, like diversity in the sense of people are pushing these diverse books and, um, it isn't, it is really neat. I don't, I, yeah, it's hard to figure out how to advertise yourself without being annoying, but I, <laughs> I just try to share other books that I like as well as my own book and, um, just like also do really silly like queer memes and stuff like that 
Um, what is your TikTok handle so people can follow you? Oh God. Uh, it's just Marissa Crane writes. Yes. Um, but uh, people are really, for whatever reason, people on BookTok really want to buy books. Like, I'm like, where is all these people getting all this money? Yeah. Where have they know. been? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they're not on Twitter. They're not on Instagram. Like, I don't know. But I remember I was like, okay, I'm just going to see what TikTok is all about. And I made like my first video um, and like four people commented. This was like eight or nine months ago. Mm-hmm. And we're like, just ordered it. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like almost mad that they confirmed that I should be on TikTok. <laughs> I was like, like, that's a lot for your first post. I know. It, well, I think the thing is, is also like TikTok, you don't have to have like followers, mm-hmm. like the algorithm just feeds you videos like that you don't follow. So I, it got like 2000 views, even though I didn't <gasps> have like, any followers or anything. So I think the TikTok algorithm like helps in that way. Um, it just yeah, based on the hashtags, um, sort of like feeds people this content. But yeah, I was like, why is everybody buying books on here? <laughs> that is incredible. You're convincing me. Yeah, it's, you know, I will say it's like, you know, it can be a lot of work just in the sense of, uh, you know, I like put it on my to do list every day. Like, oh my gosh, TikTok. what? Like, like post on TikTok. Um, <laughs> do you post once a day or more than once a day? Sometimes more than once if I, there's like, it's a whole thing. I feel like this is turning into a TikTok marketing podcast. But that's right. <laughs> there's like, there's like trending sounds. So, people, so like TikTok will um, like push those sounds and, and usually get you like more views if you use these like trending sounds. So I'll sometimes go on and if I like see a few trending sounds, I'll like save them and then I'll like maybe make like two or three videos using those ones or something that day. Um, but uh, I try not to spend too much time making videos. Like, you know, there's people on there who who they've really edited and they've really made wonderful videos that I can tell took quite a while. Yeah. Um, that's great for them. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like posting my book for six seconds using a trending sound and posting my face using a trending sound but this is really speaking to me um I feel like my whole life is about to change (laughs) (laughs) it might (laughs) what are we gonna do when America bans TikTok uh, I don't know (laughs) but I'm gonna ride I'm gonna ride this wave out um yeah people are really sweet on there it's actually really lovely um and I've like sent, sent sent some copies of my books to um some people on there um but yeah I I say all this to say I guess is that I had really low expectations for my book so everything has just been a surprise any good thing that's happened has been a pleasant surprise and I think that that's working for now (laughs) yeah it's gotten some really amazing reviews right yeah yep it was the the New York Times reviewed it in the New York Times which was mind-boggling and incredible did you print it out did you get a copy of the paper okay so I'm working on it okay okay (laughs) a few a few people have saved them for me I I learned that in San Diego it's impossible to find the New York Times Um, what 
Yeah, I went on like a wild goose chase. Um, my friends were visiting from out of town on the the day that it came out in print. <clears throat> so I was like trying not to be annoying and make them like run around to, to like gas stations and grocery stores with me. <laughs> but, but we stopped at like four places on our way to something more fun. And uh, every place was like, uh, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's and then insane. I ran. Yeah, I ran into this dude on the street who was like outside the post office. I was like, oh, the post office might have it because they have like a bunch of newspaper stands. And this guy was like, oh, no. He was like, you're not going to find it in San Diego unless you find like a literal newsstand store or something. There like, are still some of those out there. There's a, like a, a wacky one in my neighborhood. Where do you live? I live in Chicago. Oh, nice. And we did a- have one, but it closed during COVID. Which was oh, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some, some people, including my mom, I think are mailing me. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about the way time passes in the book to bring okay. it back to the wonderful book. And, <laughs> um, and also uh, going hand in hand with that, how you landed on the structure of the fragments and the pop quizzes. Um, so first question, how did you get time to pass so deftly? Uh, you know, we might have to skip this question. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really struggled with it. I think like in early drafts, it was not working and <clears throat> I wasn't using enough like childhood development time stamps. Um mm-hmm. And I feel like it felt a lot more like floaty. Um, mm. It was sort of like, when are we um, in time? And uh, I also originally had it like the kid be even older. She was like a teenager. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like my first draft, I think she was like 16. So it was like really so much time passing and she was like extra bad by then (laughs) Um, you know quote bad um, extra rebellious but um I yeah I think my agent and I were really hunkering down on like there just need to be these really solid moments of naming when this like how old the kid is and then if without being too weird and constantly just being like now she's four um, (laughs) showing sort of like obvious milestones um in a way that felt naturally included like um you know taking her first steps and all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. um that, I honestly I don't even <laughs> beyond that I don't even know it's just like flying by the seat of my pants hoping things work um <laughs> it's another example of like um because yes like as a parent I recognize those and I I'm like okay I get how old the kid is and I get where we are in time. And then there's a, like a time when the, the child like is way more mature than she should be. Mm. Like she's like smoking weed, but because there's, there's like an authentic, <laughs> there's like an authentic voice and there's an authentic um, passage of time. And and I'm in this world, I'm fully bought in when that happens, when the, when the child becomes this like very adult um type person I'm Uh I'm still right there and it's and it's showing me something about the world and it's showing me something about the child and the the child's relationship with her mom and um 
and and I and it struck me that it's it's because you're so almost like there's this confidence and there's this nonchalance with how time move moves um mm-hmm. that also goes along with the grieving and how like Chris would sort of be in the world and then sort of floating above the world and like be back in the world and you know because the grief is doing such a number on her um and I just thought like shit this is like the most confident passage of time I've ever encountered in a novel before and it feels so different and brave um just to be like you know now it's two years later than it was last paragraph you know (laughs) it's just like it's so awesome I I really appreciate that um (laughs) I it's it's lovely to hear you say that only because I one of the things I admire in books is when someone can just be so swaggy with it. Mm -hmm. um, It's, it's always like when I'm willing to buy into pretty much anything is when an author um, is such an authority in such a nonchalant way. Like I'm always calling it swag. Like this writer's got swag. That's exactly right. That is exactly (laughs) the right word for this. So, so I appreciate that because that feels like the highest of compliments to me. Um, and, I, you know, and I think that it's it's something that I'm constantly working on is like, how am I supposed to get readers to trust me um, if I'm waffling or, or wavering like if they can or maybe like if they can feel the baby steps behind this or um it's almost like in revision getting rid of these little stumbles mm-hmm. uh, points like even just lines that I feel like are weak um or lines that feel like they're they're questioning um so I feel like there's so much in revision of like holding every line accountable every fragment accountable um and being like how can this how can this be an authority and how can even even while keeping Chris's voice um like authentically hers she obviously wavers and is anxious and has these questions but how how can my voice coming in sort of above that um mm-hmm. make everybody buy in mm-hmm. I want to know about the pop quizzes because sometimes like sometimes it's it's it, it's formatted as a question and an answer and sometimes it is an answer to the question sometimes it's this other like almost bit of poetry um that gives us a sense of chris's mindset um or or even like gives us an image that helps us understand the world as we go um mm. how did those come to you um so i always and my first is it's like just like first person is always my instinct like to go experimental is always my instinct with writing and it's something that I've had to resist at times because I'm like not everything has to has to be experimental um but the pop quizzes came in really early um as a way in which I wanted to like there was no one really for Chris to be talking to, right? Like she's talking to this imaginary beau. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's pretty like alone for a while until her dad sort of like comes back into the picture, but he's not like an awesome resource at all times. <laughs> um, or like, you know, like a person to really be having um like difficult conversation and like earnest conversations with. Um, but I wanted to challenge her 
her thinking. Um, I wanted to interrogate her a bit and it just <laughs> fell really flat. I think if I was just going to be like, blah, 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 you know, I'm moving through this world and now I am doubting how I'm feeling or thinking or, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as like explaining too much. So I wanted, and it was also a way to give a head nod to Bo because Bo was a teacher. Um, Mm-hmm. So it felt like another way to like bring Bo's like influence and sort of like presence be overwhelming. Um, it's not meant to be like Bo questioning her, but it is sort of meant to um, like embody her in a way, I guess. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to challenge some of Chris's thoughts and feelings at times. Like she's, and I, that felt like a useful way to do it. And it also felt like a useful way to, like implicate the reader sometimes um I I've had a bunch of people tell me that like they wrote down all of the questions <gasps> and like answered them for themselves and no oh um, my gosh now I'm yeah it was just super cool um but uh I, I felt like I don't know I just love to engage the reader in different playful ways it, it also you know, and I say the word playful, like it, the book is so heavy at times and she's so overrun with grief that I, I think some of these experimental elements also just gave some breathing room um, and made it a little bit easier to to stay, I guess, stay in that world without being so overrun with sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really, I really like the way that those elements can feel playful mm-hmm. yep uh, I've like sort of got started in publish like publishing my work with like flash fiction and flash um essays years ago and and that was sort of also it that's showing like my flash roots I think because I used to publish a lot of experimental flash pieces um, that were in weird forms and I had one as a as a pop quiz and I had one as directions like map quest directions and stuff like that oh that's uh, awesome yeah so it felt sort of cool to bring that bring that like those chops in I guess into a, like a longer format yeah and like there's this there's this way that they act as transitions even as they're little like a pop quiz if someone actually threw a pop quiz at you you'd be like ah. Oh! and if it was about like the temperature on mars or something that's daunting in itself but when it's pop quiz question how do you know if you're a good person (laughs) yeah it's like okay there is an answer inside me but also ah (laughs) you know it's like charming it's transitional and it's um it's fitting because it also feels like something that Chris would do to Bo from time to time. Like it would actually happen in their conversations when Bo was alive, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Keep her on her toes. That's right. <laughs> and Bo would be like, fuck off. I know. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the father character and his mustache twirling? <laughs> yeah, he's such a delight. Were- he He's so wonderful. Even as it, sometimes I I was like, wait a minute, is he like, is he watching them? You know, like, is he, I know he is, but like, is he like reporting them? I know that, you know, there was just moments where I was like, can I trust him? Mm, um, yeah. But I, I want to hear from you where he came from and what it was like writing him. Oh gosh. 
writing him was really difficult but also really fun um because i i just wanted this sort of like and you know this can be said for every character in the book but i just wanted everybody to sort of tread this line like not everyone be a really obvious like good person or whatever yeah um I so you know I wanted him to have like some of this baggage and some of this less cool stuff about how he'd um you know rejected Chris when she became a shadester and, mm-hmm. and you know and he's still sort of grappling with it as far as like he hates the unknown and like mm-hmm. hates to just know like what she did mm-hmm. um it's hard for him to like get past that um but uh I also wanted him to be the sort of like zany presence who he also like holds chris accountable in so many so many ways and like pulls her through this grief and like sort of a tough love way mm-hmm. um, and and the okay so the mustache twirling comes from my own dad oh i was hoping that was true oh my gosh yeah. he um my whole life had this mustache and whenever he was like absentmindedly doing anything it was just like a total tick of his. <laughs> he would like have this little bald spot, like where he would <laughs> twirl it. Yeah, it's just such a great, um, you know, like characterization. Mm-hmm. Like it's just such a good little tick to add to a character. But um, and then he shaved it like when he was getting older and going gray, because then it got like bristly, and my mom made him shave it. She oh was like, it, it hurts my face um and it was like this great reveal because my mom had never even seen what he looked like without what? before. yeah when they it was like the 70 I don't know he was like 24 and already had a like a big 70s mustache when they met or like whatever um Amazing. yeah so this whole reveal when I was like I don't even know what 18 or something um but yeah I think it was probably funny for my parents to read this book because my mom was like there's dad and I was like all right <laughs> I was like, this dude acts literally nothing like my dad. Like my dad, <laughs> a super quiet, sweet, but but charming dude. But he's nothing like this guy. <laughs> you know, he's wacky. Um, you know, that's a whole different conversation. Explaining fiction to parents, but that's right, I mean. exactly. Um, no, I feel like my parents, <laughs> if they read my stuff, they never recognize where I've put them but they, they think they're these other things. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, (laughs) they just can't see it. It's also so funny because it's like, are they just reading to enjoy the book? Are they reading to like figure out a mystery of where they can find themselves? Totally. Exactly. Like, I feel like they're not even, they're just reading on a different level than everyone else. They can't enjoy it. There's no way they can enjoy their child's novel. Exactly. The no way. A magnifying glass up to it, and they're like, ah, <laughs> ah, oh, yeah. that place from their childhood. Oh, that tree. Like the yeah. <laughs> exactly. I remember that, and it's like, what? I thought I made that up. Exactly. Just oh don't read it. Ugh. Totally. And mine was like, I just jumped out of the gates with like so much queer sex, and I was like, well, I guess this is just going to introduce my parents to the world of me writing a novel. And so they read it. Did they read the whole thing? Yeah. I was oh my really gosh. <laughs> yeah. Did they say anything about, because there it is a, there is a lot of really, I was going to say juicy, but that feels too real um, sex scenes. But what did they say? Did they say anything about it? Um, so, so my mom read it in like one day. Oh my um, gosh. 
and I wasn't I was like away at the time so she like texted me and she's like I just started it. I'm already hooked and I'm like great and then I was like <laughs> and then I like put my phone away because I was like I don't want to hear what she thinks once she's hooked and then she's reading this and then she messaged me the next day she's like I stayed up all night reading it oh my gosh yeah it was amazing and like she didn't say anything then she was just like it was awesome and like it was I was really surprised I think just whatever she said nothing about it she was just like I'm so proud of you this is great so amazing it's great when parents are like yes people have sex and my child is a person (laughs) you know like and then my mom forced my dad to read it and forced because he's someone who like, I think only reads James Patterson. Okay. Um, got I it. was like, he's not going to like this. Like, he's not even going to really like, he's just going to be like, what the fuck is going on? If there's not, like, <laughs> a, if it's not like a thriller where someone like, I'm not even going to understand. Uh, <laughs> like, you have to read your kid's book. And like, oh. kept calling me and she'd be like, dad's only on page 60. And I'd be like, you are tormenting this poor man. He's like, only on page 60. <laughs> Yeah, and she'd be like monitoring his progress. And I was like, you he doesn't need to read it. She was like, Of course he does. You wrote it. And I was like, Yeah, but I don't I don't have any stake in this game. Like I don't it doesn't matter to me. Like, could you just buy ten copies? Like that's just that's there. Really what that's exactly right. Do that. <laughs> yeah. But she finally like made him finish it and he just like texted me and was like, Amazing, great work. But then when I was on the phone with my mom, she was talking about which of her friends she will and will not recommend it to based on the content. Oh my gosh. So she did then um, allude to the sex scenes. And she was like talking about, she's like, well, some of my friends love it. And that it's so great. And But you know, I, my one friend, like she's really, she's really, you know, involved in the church and she's really conservative. So I'm not, no offense. I'm not going to recommend it to her. (laughs) Like you were going to follow up. Yeah. Did Betty um, read my book yet? Why not? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, so that was like her only sort of um, <laughs> reference to, to it. But uh, otherwise they're, they've been pleasantly benign. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. That's what you want. Yeah. Just like proud of your accomplishment, you know, recommending it to the right friends. Done. <laughs> right. <laughs> My dad likes to pass the, like, if he, he'll FaceTime me from when he's out sometimes. Like, yeah. And he did the, and then he'll pass the phone around so I can see his friends that I've never met. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and he'll be like, this is my daughter, the writer. You don't want to read her stuff though. And he says it what? to every single one. And they're all like, that's great. I've heard all about you. Da, da, da. And he's just he like, don't, you don't want to read yes, it. Yes. Why? He thinks my stuff is so, um, I don't know, too dark, I guess, or gross. <laughs> and he ain't wrong. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I know. Like, so he's like proud of me, but he also doesn't want to be associated in a way. <laughs> that's so bizarre. Is he like, I'm picturing him at like a pub. I don't know why. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. He's yeah, at his, he's like, yeah. Pass it around to his boys and you're like, I don't know any of you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is my daughter, Lindsay. She's a writer. She... <laughs> And then he like bothered to Google me recently. And he was like, you didn't tell me all this. Oh my God. And you're like, well, <laughs> I, I was like, I kind of did. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did. You just weren't listening. I but, dread you know, that. Parents, parents have a weird time. They do. I dread the Googling. Like, yeah. I feel like my parents don't though, because my mom's always like, oh, I heard from someone down the street that you had something in the LA times. Uh, <laughs> So Someone down I, the street was like, hear ye, hear ye. 
literally though like they've lived in the same you know town for like a million years so they're oh like gosh no, but i'm like so i don't think they do google me because my mom has never heard of like anything that i've been in which is helpful but it is terrifying the like I- idea that they can just do that at any time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think my parents have been like no i don't need to do that <laughs> they <laughs> learned their lesson <laughs> We can stay away from something. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I can't well, get over your dad sh- showing you, showing everyone that you've never met. Like, it's just like, hey, say hi to Billy over here. Oh my gosh. He does it every time. Well, cause he is, he's, he's, he's a complicated <laughs> person. I love thinking about him because he is really proud of all of us, but he's also like, he wants, he wants us to have like a realistic viewpoint of ourselves you know, so sometimes I don't know, like sometimes like that can translate into like, here's my daughter, you know, like she's accomplished or here's my son. He's accomplished in these ways, but blah, 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 you know, <laughs> like <laughs> he wants to temper it, you know, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I know um, he's proud of us in his own way. That's interesting. Is he going to listen to this podcast? And that, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> but yeah, if he did listen to it, he'd be like, oh, uh, what was that about? <laughs> my mom would probably be like is that really what happened is that exactly what like? <laughs> they all do it my parents are notorious for that that's not true <laughs> yeah, you yeah. were a kid when that happened you don't understand truly it's so it's so funny like speaking to the like oh this is my daughter and she's a writer like I feel like it probably took a really long time for my parents to like stop saying that I'm a basketball player oh wow and like well and my brother too actually my brother is um nine years older than me and he actually lives in San Diego too and he'll like for a while he would like introduce me to his like work friends and like people and they'd be like oh you're the basketball player and I'd be like (gasps) I I graduated eight years ago so you played played in college yeah yeah who'd you play for I played at Drexel, which is in Philly. Whoa. Yeah. Amazing. It was cool. But uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm um, 11 years post-grad. But um, yeah, I think it was like, you know, that whole identity thing, like what you can call somebody like real quick as, mm-hmm. as they're like identifying mm-hmm. Trait or whatever. So, like, I feel like for a while there was like this period where I wasn't playing anymore, but I was still like the basketball player. Um, That's two things in your life that you've done that like very, very few people can say that they've done, which is you were a college basketball player, amazing. And now you've published a novel. (laughs) I never thought of it that way, but thank you. I, that, I mean, like, your family's going to be like, bursting you know (laughs) that I think is you might be changing my perspective on some things because I'm very hard on myself so I should remember that it's a Um, miracle I mean both those things are miracles and you've experienced them (laughs) I guess so yeah um and I think publishing a book has shifted everyone's view of me to finally as writer um yes and now your brother will be like she's a writer (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. he does do that surprisingly I I still thought he was stuck in basketball land but then he's been like texting me over the past few months and he'll be like just sold your book to this lady on the plane and (gasps) 
Yeah, he's being really cute um, about it. He's like, oh, just sold just sold it to somebody else at my business meeting. I'm oh like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Marissa, um, I'm so sorry. I just realized I used the wrong pronoun. Oh, I should no. have said it's, they. It's, Excuse it's me. To- it's totally fine. Okay. Um yeah, it's it's been sweet because I think um so much of my connection to my brother, like and my dad was was basketball. Like it was like how we Oh my god. I grew up like playing with them and they were my, like my coaches and my my brother was like always teaching me um and that's always been like how we relate to each other oh. uh, so it's been like really sweet I think to see my brother sort of step out of his comfort zone too because he doesn't like read really I think probably besides like non-fiction business books or something <laughs> who stole my cheese yeah, yeah. You remember that book <laughs> I no. <laughs> oh god I worked at Barnes and Noble back when that book was everywhere it was like the number one like business money book oh no who stole my cheese <laughs> well before I say goodbye I have to ask you your author photo is one of my favorites ever because you are smiling so joyfully and I feel like that's rare. Can you tell me when it was taken? What are the circumstances? Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. Um, yeah, actually, <clears throat> one of my friends, Jarrell, um, took it. He's he's like a longtime friend of my wife. Um, and he's a really awesome guy. He does yoga. He does photography. So we had him come over and... Um, that made me feel really comfortable. He is also this very joyous person. Like he's always smiling, he's always laughing. Like he's such a like delight to be around. Um, and we, you know, we did take like a million pictures and I, to be transparent, tried to do the like serious writer mm-hmm. face one, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I was like, he told me that I looked like I was going to kill someone. <laughs> I don't even know how to do it. Like I still admire it. I like flip to the back of books and I'm like, these people look so like regal. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I can't do it. Like I, and I don't even think it looks right on me. Like I am, I love to smile. I I don't know. So I, I was just like, none of this feels like me. I was trying to be the serious author person, but like, I think, I'm just going to smile and be happy and let Jarrell make me laugh. And we're going to go with that. It's perfect. I love it. And I love the background, how you can kind of see like the sun setting. And it just feels like a real moment. Mm. Yeah, it was in our backyard. It was a really perfect timing for that um, with like the sun going down and everything. It's, It's really a lovely background. More smiles and author photos inspired me. <laughs> I look like I want to kill someone in my most recent author photo, but I wanted to look like that. So, <laughs> well, I hope that you embrace smiling. I hope so too. You've inspired me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fun. I hate that it's ending. Ugh, I hate that it's ending too. We should just we could just, we'll just keep going forever. Yeah, Marissa's book is "I Keep My Exoskeletons to Myself." It is out. Go get it. It is amazing. Thanks for having me.